Greetings, I'm John Duvall. Welcome back to another Truth Factor discussion. This morning on a Truth Factor discussion, we're going to continue in our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to continue in chapter 4, right around verse 13, actually. We'll look at the last part of verse of chapter 4, and then we'll move on into chapter 5 for this discussion. Now, if this is the first time that you've joined us for this live study, we'd like to thank you for that and invite you to participate in the study. If you're viewing this through our Facebook page in the live stream there, then just use the comment area connected with this live video feed. If you're viewing this through our YouTube channel, then use the chat area there. You can even send a comment via Twitter. Just make sure you put at Truth Factor Live and that'll eventually find its way in front of us. We also have other means whereby you can contact us. You'll see that on the screen there. Send any questions to questions at truthfactorlive.com or you can email us individually at the addresses seen on the screen there, John at Paul at etc. Truthfactor. And as a last resort, because I don't check very often, you can text us during the week and we'll, we'll do our best to get back with you or bring your question or comment into our next study. So with that being said, let me go ahead and bring everybody in. Uh, we are absent Tom today. He is still in Arkansas for his mother's passing and her memorial, but featuring from his all-time specially aired nationally, almost not quite syndicated, The Paul Adams Show. We have Paul Adams with us today. He said, finally, I'm ready to join the study. I've just taken some time off and sabbatical. He went to the beaches. He went to Bahamas or some other stuff that was more important. And so he's here with us today. Paul, how are you? Doing good. I almost feel like I need to introduce myself. We had some some family things with a move, uh, just a local move. I'm still at Altsville uh, with a move and then some uh, health issues, visiting members and needing to be with them on, on a couple of occasions. And so finally, uh, I'm here and uh, glad to be part of the study. Uh, I don't think I've been in this study since Ecclesiastes was started. And so I'm looking forward to uh, the insight that uh, the other brothers here have and and looking forward to studying with all of you who are uh, following online. Yeah. We just put the wisdom icing on the cake with Paul being with us today. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't Brian, think so. How, <laughs> how are you doing, Brian? I couldn't be doing better. Um, okay. Doing real good. All right. And Brendan, you doing all right? I'm doing fantastic. It's finally back in the 70s in Arizona. And so I'm warm and happy. <laughs> I can uh, appreciate the, those feelings once they finally make it to Oklahoma to stay. So, all right. So as we mentioned a while ago on the intro, we're going to be picking up with Ecclesiastes chapter four, uh, chapter four, and we're going to read verses 13 through 16. So let me go ahead and get that brought up and let's see, Paul, I have you to do the reading. If you would, you don't have to share your wisdom unless it just comes to you through the course of the reading. Be happy um, to do that. <laughs> But let me get let me get you set up here real quick on full screen. We got you there, and whenever you're ready. Do you guys have a preferred translation? If you if you have something different than the New King James, tell me, and I can call it up. So, uh, I can I can grab a New King James quickly. Uh, what do you have in I, front of you? I have a Christian Standard Bible. Uh, Let's see. I've got the Holman Christian Standard on here. Let me bring that in real quick. 
Maybe that'll be close. It should be. It, it was the, the revision before they did the straight. Uh, which one's that? Let's see. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Yeah. I was it just happy to be looking at the, a copy that I just recently acquired. So okay. uh, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were before them, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This, too, is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Okay. Let's see here. Backing up there in the text, Paul, what I find really interesting, and we'll bring the other guys in here on this in just a moment, is the idea that he paints here in verses 13 and 14, kind of drawing a little more focus on that. He talks about better as a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. Now, I would ask you if you know of any modern-day examples that might fit that, but I won't do that because people would say we're getting political and all that. But what are your thoughts, though, about this contrast here between the poor but wise youth and the old foolish king? Well, it's contrary to, to uh, common thinking that as we age, we get wiser and better and make better decisions and do things just in generally in general better. Uh, but there is a contrast. There's the poor and the old. There's the wise and the foolish. There is part of that wisdom is being willing to listen to those who may be able to give you some guidance. And then the, the old king who in his pride and in his uh, rule, thinking, you know, he's in charge, he knows everything, refusing to listen to others. And, and there, you, you see this, uh, you see, uh, not, and again, not, I'm not even trying to be political, but you just see this in people in general, that sometimes as people age, they don't always grow or continue in the wisdom that they've gained. Uh, I've unfortunately seen some uh, older Christians who fall away and uh, at, at, in their latest years of life, and people warn them, and they won't heed the warning. They won't listen to the warnings from Scripture or, or anything else. And so I think it is a very interesting contrast, It's, but it is contrary to what we would normally observe or normally think would be uh, how things ought to be. And so uh, things ought to be that the young are, are the foolish ones who need to learn, and the old are the ones who um, have gained that wisdom and can apply it and show that. But sometimes that's not the case, and I guess... Uh, Solomon here, if we accept Solomon as the author, uh, the wise man who's writing here, that he is expressing the great value and wisdom at any age. Yeah. And that's a good point. Good point. Um, well, Brian, then let, let me throw this one um, at you here. So notice there in verse 14, he then says, For he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. You think he's talking about the old foolish king? You know, it's interesting uh, that question because I'm not sure. Um, 
if he is talking about the old foolish king, what he's trying to say is that the old foolish king wasn't always an old foolish king. Um, that uh, that it was the security of his position that brought him there. Um, you know, you could think if Solomon's writing, maybe he's thinking of somebody like Saul, who uh, was brought out of, you know, uh, obscurity and, you know, some small position and raised up to a great one, but in the end refused to be uh, refused to be admonished in any way. He wouldn't let Samuel admonish him. And so sometimes I, I often wonder is if maybe the writer here is, if, and assumingly, I am assuming it's Solomon. If Solomon here is saying that, you know, hey, I remember a king like this, and he points to Saul, and, and then the, his father David was the poor, young, wise youth that was the, the better person for him, and he could be contrasting two real people here. Now, it's also possibly, um, and, and I think it's a likely scenario, but I'm not sure that he's not also saying that the young young person might one day become king, um, and even if he's a good king, somebody else will come along and replace him, and nobody will remember any of them. And uh, of course, that's kind of the bigger idea of the vanity concept is whether you're a great king or a terrible king or all the different things, you're, you're probably going to be forgotten. And that's really the remarkable thing about life is that no matter how great a person you are, uh, most people don't know you and they don't remember you. You know, there's the, uh, the poem, uh, was it Ozymandias, uh, that, that, was about the, I think it was about Ramses the second, you know, look at all that I survey and all that's left is a statue of two feet. You know, it's, there's, a, there's nothing there today. Nobody knows who that is. Even the greatest people in history are forgotten. And I think that's part of Solomon's point is that in the end, there's no such thing as a lasting legacy. Nothing lasts forever. Everybody gets forgotten. The wise, the foolish, the young, the old, nobody's going to be remembered. I think that's a good point. And that's kind of the idea of the latter part there. You know, there's no limit to all the people who were before them, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This is too, this too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Brendan, any thoughts? Um, <clears throat> I'll just say what everybody else said in a different way. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's talking about two different people here. I mean, the, the, the okay. larger section here of just the evil that Solomon sees under the sun and life lived without God. And he comes to this last section in this this theme here. You know, Solomon relates what he has observed about how even the results of wisdom can be fleeting. Um, even the wise youth, though he is successful and, popul and popularity were gained through true wisdom, in the end, he ends up being the foolish king and the wisdom served him no good. Um, and tying that again that that reframe there in the end of uh, verse 16 this surely surely this is also vanity and a striving after the wind um so again as we kind of tie in some stuff from the last study you know we've seen that there's oppression under the sun we have seen that all the if we if you work simply for work's sake and for yourself that's a vanity and striving after the wind uh the fool destroys himself um you know, it, it's a vanity, it's a vain thing to toil for just yourself in verses 7 through 8 there. Um, the, there's a benefit, there's a brief reprise in 9 through 12 about the need to share with things. And then we go back to how even though Solomon's exalting wisdom in this book, and wisdom is good, we have to understand that wisdom does have limitations. Um, and we can't be trusting in wisdom as the main thing. For all of our answers 
because then we're elevating wisdom over God. Um, God has placed limitations on our what we can know. Uh, I could cite Deuteronomy 29, 29, for example. Um, but that doesn't mean wisdom is useless. And, and Solomon will get to that later in the book, too. It does have value as long as we have the proper perspective of it. Um, and we don't simply trust that we're always going to be wise. And I think that's maybe the, the lesson here is just because you were smart in your youth doesn't mean that's not a guarantee that you're going to be smart in your old age. Um, you can't just simply rest on what you've done previously. I really like well, what I mean, you guys did. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, John. No, actually, go ahead, Paul. You're good. I really like what you guys are saying about maybe this being the same king. If we're accepting this as Solomon in his later years, uh, writing this, looking back over life, his experience of seeing kings has been Saul, David, and himself. Uh, that's th This fits that. Wisdom and youth and sometimes turning to some foolishness, of, at least to some degree, in, in the later years. And I just wanted to point out that for those of us who are a little older, uh, I know John and I are close to the same age and probably Brian's, uh, he's a little younger than us. Uh, but as we look at that, to be able to accept uh, wisdom and warnings and help from those who are younger, who may have some wisdom, may have some uh, good things to share with us, that we ought not to just uh, discount that they are young, but to be able to listen to them and to realize that sometimes as we age, we need to kind of be brought back into focus uh, and, and shown shown a good way. So that's all. As I, the resident young person point. on the panel, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I agree. The, the thing is, is and let's first talk about the aging thing. Physiologically, it's not just about us not no longer being wise as we get older. It's a potential for the mind to begin to suffer. You know, no longer recall the wisdom, no longer be able to think clearly, calmly, and things of that nature. Um, but there's also, you're right, there's a wisdom in someone who's 75 years old opening up his mind enough to realize, okay, this is, what I'm trying to do I keep hitting a brick wall. This young whippersnapper has made a suggestion that if I'll stop for two seconds and consider it, we'll get us through the wall, you know, and have the, have, the, and that's where kind of sometimes that wisdom really comes in is being willing to say, I'm off base. Let me listen to some better information. If truly it's better. Um, but I think you're right though. Ultimately, this is not this particular wisdom in and of itself is vain because one day we die. We no longer have that with us. You know, whatever we do is left for others. Um, any other thoughts on chapter four? All right. So you at home, you're not participating yet. <laughs> at least not that I've seen. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Be sure to um, drop them into the comment section of the live video feed on our Facebook page. Our Facebook page, if you're on the YouTube side of things, is facebook.com slash truth factor live or truth yeah truth factor live if you're on facebook and decide you're having you know maybe it's buffering you want to go to youtube well go to youtube.com slash the um ampersand truth factor live and that'll take you here and um then just click on the live stream but 
Let us know what you have to think. The chat area, the comment section, we'd love to hear from you. All right, gentlemen, let's see. Let's come down into chapter five. And Brendan, if you would, and just let me know what translation you'll be reading from. And um, I'll switch over. Let's read the first six verses, I'm, I'm going to think. Okay. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and, the fool, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead, uh, lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Okay. I think that'll be a good pausing point. Let's see. Wrong button. <laughs> there we go. All right. So coming back to our text there, there in verse one, Brendan, the, when he talks about guarding your steps, when you go to the house of God, what, what is he, what's his point that he's making here with that warning in this section? Well, you know, we, we were, we're returning back to the subject of God. We touched on this earlier in the book. Solomon will routinely kind of circle back to that, bring factor God back into the equation, and then we'll go off into another venture of life under the sun, life without wisdom. And so, but here we get actual specific warnings about how we approach God. Um, when we approach God, we're not to do so hastily, um, or without thought. Um, many today and throughout all time, really, <laughs> um, people have been too flippant with their worship to deity. Um, they just assume whatever I do will be accepted or I, I, I'll go through the motions or this is what I have to do to get some sort of return on, uh, or a blessing. Uh, you see this a lot in Roman paganism, Greek paganism, ancient Near East religion. Uh, too many sort of examples to cite. Uh, but the same thing is true with the people of God. Uh, so often, the people of God have lost the understanding of the holiness of God. And Solomon's warning here that if you come before God and you do so flippantly, without thought, hastily, um, absent-mindedly, you need to be careful. Because God will still hold us accountable to those those statements uh, that we've made, the requests, the vows, the the promises we've made to God. Uh, you know, every World Series and every Super Bowl, there's always these memes on Facebook. Um, for those of you who made promises to God in the ninth inning, church starts at 10 a.m. tomorrow. You know, I, I saw that when the Chicago Cubs were playing in the World Series a couple of years ago. You know, it, it's we make these hasty. I used the royal we there. We make these hasty decisions or hasty promises to God, not really thinking 
what it's going to take to fulfill those. And Solomon's pretty clear. It's better for you just to shut your mouth and not make those statements than for you to make them and not follow through with them. So my thoughts there. I think that's spot on. I mean, with what we're looking at here. And I really think when you stop and consider the application of that today, um, there are so many times that people are very using the term flippant without giving thought to what they say about God, what he likes, what he wants, the worship, his word. Um, you'll, you'll see, you'll see people turn to God in prayer in a very hasty manner, making promises and things of that nature. And it's kind of like what Solomon is saying. He is listening and he'll hold you accountable for those things that you say without reverence, without respect, with selfish motivations, whatever it may be, he will hold you accountable for the vows that you make to him. Um, and that's a strong warning. It's a very strong warning. Any thoughts? And, well, he adds to that, you know, as a reminder of where we're at, where God's at. You know, God is in heaven and we are on the earth. Uh, sometimes, um, regarding like current discussions I've seen the last eight years about worship and, you know, what are the roles of men and women in worship and preaching and teaching and that kind of stuff. So much of the discussion is self-centered and self-focused. Well, yeah. I want to do this or why can't we do that? Those are the wrong questions. What does God want? Because we're not in the position to speak for the almighty. We're not in the position to know what the almighty, uh, all of the almighty knows we're on earth. He is in heaven. We are in the place of the creation, not the creator. He is in the position of authority. He gets to command, dictate, and demand our loyalty. And maybe those are terms that we don't like, um, but those are the realities is God sets the order. We either conform to it or we don't. And the consequences either way is, well, back in Deuteronomy, for example, you conform, there's blessing. You rebel, there's curse. Um, and that's just a general premise and point they've go tracks throughout the whole scripture um and you end up if you follow the path of me-centered worship uh you may not think it's me-centered but when you're putting what i want first or what i think i should be able to do you're eventually going to make a spectacle of what worship ought to be um you know and there's too many examples for me to cite and we'd be here all all morning and all afternoon <laughs> on that but um you know know where God's at and know where we're at and respect those places and those positions. Well, Saul offering the sacrifice and not waiting on Samuel is a great point in that. Now, children of Israel erecting a golden calf and having Aaron to do that and say, this is the God that led you out of Egypt. I mean, just, yeah. Um, it's a, it's quite a contrast there that uh, we read in the second sentence of chapter five better to approach in obedience so that there there's the standard and then the contrast is than to offer sacrifices fools do for they ignorantly do wrong so uh just to do what god says is what god expects not to presume to do anything different uh or to do anything that maybe god is uh, we don't we just don't know anything about god is not addressed uh he's saying here uh, guard your steps. Just do what God says. Be careful. Uh, and to not 
approach God in obedience is to offer the sacrifice of fools. Yeah. And to that point, Paul, you know, for the ancient Jews, um, listening wasn't just receiving the audio waves in your ears. If the Jews understood that if you did not obey the law of God, you didn't hear it right. Because back in, in Deuteronomy 6, in verse 3, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. That somehow, if you weren't following the law of God, there was something wrong in the teacher, or your ears were stuffed up, or something. Because if you heard and understood what God wanted you to do, the only correct response is obedience. Um, and again, I could talk at nauseum, but there's so many times, so many examples where people are hearing, but they're not listening. And it shows up in their lives. So, Well, this was for Brian, speaking about talking at nauseum. He does say there in verse 6, Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. What are your thoughts about that one, Brian? You know, it's, it goes back to this idea of the, of the rationale. Um, and there's a lot of Proverbs that uh, speak around that. I was just kind of thinking about some of the things that uh, it says, don't, you know, don't turn around and say, hey, I shouldn't have said that. You know, his bigger point is just don't say it in the first place. You know, when I read this whole uh, this whole passage, I, my mind is taken over to the transfiguration of it in Matthew 17. And there you have this moment where you have the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son all brought together. You have Moses and Elijah there. Uh, and, and the scriptures say that Peter was so overwhelmed that he just starts talking. And the Bible is indicates he's afraid and he just starts, uh, can I say babbling, you know, might be another way to put it. He's in such a panic. He says, oh, you know what we need to do is we need to build tabernacles uh, to Elijah and to Jesus and to Moses. Um, it was foolish. That was a bad idea. And the father from heaven rebukes and says, hey, this is my son. Listen to him. And, and one of the things I think of is interesting is he says, listen, hear him. Um, you know, don't, you know, this, that that's kind of a practical point for this application, uh, for this passage to say in that moment, uh, Peter's coming up with all sorts of ideas, uh, all sorts of, and I think that's what dreams okay. means, by the way, you know, the, the fanciful ideas. Um, but here he is coming up with these, these ideas and oh, I'll build tabernacles and, and God says, Hey, no, what's required here is you need to listen to my son. Uh, you know, I, I didn't say build tabernacles. I didn't say do these things. Don't make these foolish vows because they're, they're not what I want. Uh, you need to listen to my son. Um, and of course that's the moment everything comes to an end. So those are things that come to my mind here. I think that's a good point. Um, let's see. Paul, I, I, I muted you. You'll need to unmute yourself, I guess. <laughs> well, let me let me bring something up then and, and what you were talking about there. Um, if I can so I, I like the way that you brought in verse seven. I didn't read verse I didn't have Brendan read verse seven well ago. My marker was in the wrong place. But when dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Um You mentioned the apostle Peter in his conversation, Brian, with this statement there. Do you think, and this is, this is, I know this is speculation, so I'll be very careful with this. Do you think that because God knows the hearts of every person that speaks, that he understands the intention of the one who out of sincerity, such as Peter, speaks foolishly, 
and the individual who, out of a hardness or a disrespect or selfishness, speaks foolishly? Do you think the Lord might bestow a bit more patience towards one child than he would the other one? Uh, possibly. You know, I can think of a lot of people that spoke foolishly and rashly, and, um, you know, God was forgiving of it. Uh, we're studying Genesis on Wednesday nights, and we were just in where Sarah laughs whenever the, you know, the, you know they're told she's going to have a baby in a year. And uh, did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, you laughed, you know. Um, and so there, there are times where even godly people say something kind of foolishly, and, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem to have the the same repercussion. Of course, probably all of us are thinking of Jephthah and his foolish vow when you think of a foolish vow and, you know, his promise that he sacrificed the first thing that came out of his house and and just how serious a thing that was to him. Uh, of course, like I said, we in the New Testament, we have Peter, we have lots of, Peter says a lot of foolish things, you know, whenever we kind of walk through Peter's life to, for such being such a great man, you know, I'll, Jesus, I'll never let anybody hurt you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter says, Jesus, I'll, you know, I won't let them come take you. I won't betray you. And Jesus, hey, by the time the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to, you're going to have done it three times. You know, there's a lot of times where Peter jumps up and says the first thing that comes to his mind, um, Jesus is pretty forgiving about that. Um, there's an interesting thing too to connect that over to Romans chapter eight. Think about some of the language where it talks about uh, you know the, the the workings of the Holy Spirit in our prayers and you know with the groanings that we don't know how to utter, utterances we don't know how to make. Um, and I'm always hesitant to say I understand exactly what that passage means, but I still think there's a sense there where um, you know uh, there there is some leeway for the fact that we don't always know what to say. And we're hopeful that, you know, that uh, by our our efforts to to know God and to do things, God's merciful and patient with us. And I, so I think there's plenty of examples where God is merciful and patient with people. Um, in fact, I would say that typically is the norm. Um, I just think this is a really neat passage to, and a couple of you guys already brought it up. This is a contrast passage between the wise and the fool. And the fool just blabs. He just, he just comes in and he has no reverence, no consideration. And the wise man sits and thinks and listens and you know that that might be the whole the whole sense of it and i really like where brendan took this earlier because i do i think the same way i think of this as the idea of the of the foolish worshiper you know and god says he despises the sacrifice of fools and then of course he goes on to say and i hate it even more when it's a malicious intent but you know that implication is without a malicious intent if it's just foolish god doesn't find it acceptable and i think that's one of the big ideas and you know, there, you know, Solomon has had in his life, he has seen a lot of foolish vows, you know, um, a lot of silly things, or at least not in his life. He saw them, but I'm sure he's heard about them. His dad might have told him, hey, one day I thought it was a great idea to go build the temple. And God sent a messenger back in and said, hey, that that's not what I want you to do. Um, you know, so there just might be lots of times where Solomon had experience in knowing this. All right. Good point. Good point. Um, any other thoughts or comments on this? All right, we do have one comment. Let me bring it in. It's a bit late um, on me bringing it in. Jerry sent it in a little bit earlier, but it pertains to our discussion about listening to the younger generation who speak with wisdom. And Jerry Wilcox writes, oh, that's not it. This is it. With respect to our prior discussion, think about 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And according to the ESV version, the Apostle Paul writes the following. Get that there. Says that no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example 
um, in speech and conduct and love and purity. And he goes on. So very good point, Jerry. I appreciate that. Very, very good point. Funny, unrelated right. point on that verse. Um, my first office here when we had two preachers was the old high school classroom. And that verse mm-hmm. was written on the wall. So as the fresh out of training 23 year old preacher, it was, it was fitting. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's good. So, okay. Good point. And you know, there's a lot more we could say about what we were just talking about, but we'll, we'll move on. A lot of, a lot of applications there. Okay. So Brian, I think we're going to give you the next read through. Let's see what, let me check our time. It's not too bad. So what translation are we going to be looking at, Brian? Well, I'll be using the most excellent new King James Version just to kind of round us off with a lot of different translations for you to have to hunt up. (laughs) All right. And let's see. Um, What do you think? Reading down, this is a little bit more long of a section. So let's start with eight and let's read through that little paragraph um, and then the law, it's kind of a lengthy read. What do you think? Down 17? Eight through 17. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, that looks good. Okay. Let me yeah. bring that up here and all righty. Then let's get you set. And then whenever you are ready. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 8. If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, don't marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official, and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all, even the king is served from the field. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase, uh, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see with them, uh, to see them with their eyes? Uh, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There is a severe evil I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb. Naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. This is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. All right. Sounds pretty intense. What do you think, Brian, is the overall point in this section? And it may sound repetitive with things that we've said before. Well, what's well, the point? let's say... Let's let's kind of get a big picture idea for just a second here. Uh, Solomon's experiment was to say, can I find a meaning in life by pursuing these different avenues? Um, and remember, we talked about wealth and power and accomplishment and pleasure. And and first and foremost, he made the point to say that that in in his ability to knowledge, that was the other one, uh, his ability to grab all of these things and bring them together, he couldn't find a meaning of life. He found every one of them to be something that's vanity. But then he comes along, and the last couple of chapters have been him saying, but but ironically, the the circumstances actually don't even allow this experiment to go on. In other words, because if someone pursues knowledge, they may not know everything. Or if somebody pursues wealth, something, and what he's kind of making the point here, somebody might come along and just ruin that or squander it or, or lose it. Um, if you pursue power, there's always somebody with more power. 
So he's not only saying that those things didn't produce pleasure or didn't produce not pleasure, but the meaning of life, they didn't give you value for your life. He says, ironically, for most people, uh, some obstruction in the way brings those things to an end. Um, Solomon had the ability to have works and power and such, but Solomon observes that most people don't. And for a lot of people, they might pursue power, but something happens and somebody else more powerful comes and they lose everything. Uh, somebody else might pursue wealth, but some uh, misfortune occurs and suddenly everything's taken away from them. So uh, his first point is to say the the results of the experiment are there is no meaning in life in those things. But then he goes on to say, and ironically, very few people are going to be able to even carry out the experiment because the circumstances of life are such that most of the time life interferes with the pursuit of these things and brings those things to nothing. And so he's saying, you know, even if you could, even if you sat down and said, I'm going to pursue wealth, you probably won't have success. Uh, you'll lose it. You know, it, it'll it, it'll eat you up. Um, and so it's not just that it doesn't produce the meaning of life. It takes away value in life. People that pursue power, um, you know, it, it takes away the value of their life. People that pursue wealth, he says, it takes away the value of life. He says, hey, yeah, this is crazy, but the, the worker who doesn't have a lot is going to sleep better than the rich man because he doesn't have the same worries. He doesn't have the same concerns. So again, in the big picture of things, Solomon's big idea of what's the meaning of life, it, he's saying, first of all, step one was I produced, I, you know, I pursued it all and I did find the values. There's no value. But number two is, and then I realized for most people, they can't even pursue it. They can't even make the choice to come after it. So it really is a remarkable thing to think about of just how meaningless life is if those are the things we're pursuing. All right. I think that's a very, very good point. Yeah. Good explanation of it. Um, Paul, since you're one of the older people present today, let's see if I can get that to pop. I won't bring you up without you start talking. Let's see. Okay. There you go. That'll work. Um, <laughs> so here in verse 15, 16, and 17, let me kind of remind everybody, and Brian, Brian has touched on this a little bit, but I want your thoughts, if you would, on just the severity of the emotional emotion that's seen here. He declares in 15, comes from his mother's womb naked, returns. In other words, you brought nothing into this world. You won't be able to take anything out. And this also is severe evil, the way the New King James Version words it. What do you think is his his point? I mean, is it truly an evil? Or from what aspect is would you think he's saying it's evil? Well, I don't always use the Christian Standard Bible. Um, mm -hmm. I just happen to have it very handy today. And mm -hmm. I was uh, when we started, I was getting out electronic Bibles so I could switch easily. But it, the Christian Standard Bible uses an interesting phrase for this is a severe evil, or uh, maybe some of the other translations use a different phrase. He keeps saying, this too is a sickening tragedy. Uh, to see someone who uh, even here may have achieved great things financially, uh, that they can't even enjoy it. Uh, you know How awful it is that they've wasted their life uh, with these things. Uh, they have uh, squandered uh, or they have pursued things that are neither satisfying here on earth nor spiritually beneficial. Uh, they don't lead to heaven. Uh, and that even in all of that, they can't even really enjoy those things. They're not they're either not satisfied with them. 
They have to worry that someone's going to take them. Uh, he says it's just it, it's awful every direction that you turn. And I think that's probably a, a real accurate uh, thought that he has here, as well as a very accurate reality about life, about people who give their lives entirely to money. Uh, they end up not finding that to be satisfying. They have to worry about it. They have to, um, it, it brings heartache and difficulty to their life. And what a tragedy for something that is neither spiritually beneficial nor satisfying here on earth that someone would spend their whole life chasing after those things. All right. I think that's a very good point. Um, it, oh, go ahead, Brendan. Yeah. Well, and, and some points here on this larger section. I think it's interesting, especially when we look at 13 through 17, you know, these phrases, it's a grievous evil, English Standard Version. It is a tragedy, Christian Standard Bible. Um, Solomon's inspired here. God is equally concerned about those who are afflicted and oppressed at the hands of the well-off, but also of the about the afflictions of the well-off. No one really gets away without affliction in this life. And Solomon's stained for this. It is a grievous evil. It is a tragedy. And there should be some understanding, maybe not sympathy. I don't know the right word um, on both both sides of this because, you know, he's going to get to this in, in a minute. If you don't have contentment, it doesn't matter if you have two pennies or you have $10 million. It's going to be the same vexation that you have and this, this grasping after money, which, by the way, if we lived – if United States, our current culture, uh, all the teachings about money and finance in the Bible hit to hit us at our very core, uh, because you know the practical side of verses ten through twelve is it's lifestyle creep. You know, you know why is it that we're ma- we just got a raise last year, but it seems like we're making less than ever, ignoring the inflation for a mo- moment, um, instead of keeping. You're spending and contentment where you were at when you're making, say, you know, thousand a week or whatever, five hundred a week. You allow that extra money to, well, allow you to be a little bit less intentional, maybe a little bit more loose with that. And you allowed, well, I have the money to go do this now and eat out more and do all this kind of stuff. And it puts us in a worse situation than we were before because, well, there's always more to see, more to earn, something new to buy. And if we don't have contentment, which we will go to in a minute, we're going to get bored with it as soon as the newness wears off. And that's why we have storage units full of stuff. We have garages that aren't for our cars. They're for our stuff. Um, There's even such a thing like a two and a half car garage. Like I've never seen a half a car uh, for that half part there. It's just for our stuff. And you know, as Solomon says here, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. You know, if we don't check lifestyle creep, if we don't check, if we don't work on contentment, if we don't work on gratitude, um, even if we're believers, we're going to fall underneath the same categories as the people who, you know, as Solomon said there in verse 11, what advantage do we have about our, our goods if the fact is that other than we just get to see them? Uh, they don't bring any lasting value. They're, we're unhappy with them. So why do we keep chasing after them? So, 
Those are my thoughts. Well, someone might say you're, what was the word, Paul? Meddling. Meddling, yeah. yeah. There was a survey I heard referenced the other day. And it was inter, I don't remember who did the survey, so this is kind of um, not, not, um, well, whatever I'm trying to say. So in the survey, they were interviewing people who, if the loan payoff thing, you know, school loan payoff thing goes through and all that other stuff, what would you do with the newfound money that's freed up? And a lot of them, a large portion of them said, we can start seeing more movies, go out and eat more, go buy a car. You know, different things of that. Instead of taking the now freed up money and using it wisely towards something else, it is now, you know, parlay this freed money. We can use it for whatever we want to. And um, and, and I think ultimately what you're saying is right. And like you said, we'll talk about contentment here in a min- minute. But this is why someone who is barely eking by financially but has a contented life and whatever they have, their family, their service unto God, whatever, has much greater happiness than the wealthy person who always desires a bit more wealth, you know, who gets upset and sad and depressed if they can't go a little higher on the societal rung and so forth, you know. So, any thoughts? Are we contented with with what Brendan had to say? That, that, <laughs> that, that verse, uh, that... He who has silver isn't satisfied with silver. I'm just uh, roughly quoting it. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, it is it is uh, so true of what human nature off, often is. And as uh, Brendan pointed out, it's uh, very true of, of what our generation is like, uh, you know, and that, well, if you've got, if you had a whole bunch of silver, well, I'd like to have some gold. If you got a whole bunch of gold, I'd like to have platinum or, or diamonds or, or whatever it is. And uh, th- there is a, a great benefit, as the Apostle Paul points out, and is, uh, and this scripture points out, in having godliness with contentment and being satisfied with such things as you have. And to that point, and pulling in something that Brian said earlier about how this experiment, what Solomon's saying is like, it's really unattainable for most people to even try it. I just saw on LinkedIn the other day that they it, it circulated a couple of years ago that they found out some economists and psychologists like, OK, it takes seventy five thousand dollars a year to be happy. You know that that's that's the bar. Um, no, no. Uh, the headline was, no, it takes about a, an additional half a million dollars per person to do that. Mike. It never ends because if you're not satisfied with what you already have. Not gonna be satisfied with more. If you're not satisfied and content with yourself, you're not gonna be satisfied and content with another person as your spouse. It really all comes back to are you happy where you're at? Are you content with what you have and who you are? Because until those things are 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 yeses, nothing else is going to satisfy that. Um, and the solution, as Paul said, to this mad grab of wealth and goods. Is radical contentment. Um, radical contentment. And this is not saying that you can't have wealth. By no means does the Bible teach that. But it's what you do with that. Um, you know, 
the Dave Ramsey plan, for example, uh, I don't know. Some households, that's a curse word. Some it's not. But that's the big thing that you learn in that whole process is learn to appreciate what you have, pay back your debts. And when you finally get to that place where you're like, you have a lot of money, the whole point of all that money is so you can be generous with it and be a blessing to other people, not so you can just keep hoarding it for yourself. Um, and that's what we see, you know, in Ecclesiastes as what we saw previously. You know, what good is it if you have all this stuff and it's just you and life? Um, so anyway, I, I could keep preaching on that. So <laughs> this was all stated by a very eligible bachelor. So keep that in mind. He's speaking while being an eligible bachelor. <laughs> Greed is oh. not just a rich person's problem, and discontent is not just a poor person's problem. No. Uh, you can be very poor and still be very greedy. You can be very rich and still not be content. Uh, it, it's it's yeah. across the board. It's uh, your view of things. So, And just throwing it out there, too, on a more positive side. You don't have to wait till you're making a ton of money to be generous and be a blessing to other people. Um, you know, buying a extra pound of uh, of ground beef to make two meatloaves or something to have people over, you know, five extra bucks, whatever. Just sharing what you have and trying to be that blessing to other people. So, you know, it, it's balanced. You can be, have contentment and be a blessing to people no matter where you're at in life. Um, and so, you know, work on those things, I guess. So. But we're almost out of time, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize. I, I was going to try to be very careful not to peek the mic as I said that. And I, it did kind of go up yell and red. So if, if you were just paying attention, listening, all of a sudden it got loud. I apologize for that. Um, we do have uh, one more comment um, we'll bring in. And, and this comment echoes a common problem, okay? Um and this is where the concept of contentment really becomes a struggle when trying to balance it with the needs of life. Um, Brendan, do you want to read that? Sure. Is this from YouTube? Uh, this yes. was on, yes, it was, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> uh, Andy Walter writes in, what happens, though, if a person gets, a say, a 5% raise, but the rents increase by 10%, in that case, that person would be 5% worse off. Um, I would say my three cents here is that's not an issue of contentment. That's an issue of probably need. And there's, again, without knowing specifics of each individual person, but there's a couple different solutions for that, um, you know, uh, about maybe you see about getting a different place. Maybe you can see about getting additional hours. Maybe there's programs to help out with that because, you know, High rents are a problem in many metropolitan areas. If this is if, if this is a temporary need, you know, uh, and they're a Christian, that might be a case for the elders to consider. Uh, there's there's just several different ways that can get handled, but it, that wouldn't be necessarily a case of well, I just need to learn to be content and just deal with it. Well, um, if you're not able to support your four walls of housing, transportation, food, and and health, you know that that becomes an issue then. So, uh, but again, without an actual flesh and blood situation, yeah. it's, we can't really give a cookie cutter answer on that. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Guys, anyone else have any thoughts you want to share with Andy? Not with Andy. I just, I, I want to camp up one more time on verse 17. 
He has sorrow and sickness and anger. Um, you know what's fascinating is how uh, uh, sorrow and angry, um, you know, people can be about what they perceive as the injustice of wealth. You know, that, uh, you know, uh, it seems like some people are rich and they're getting rich off of others. And there's just a real anger about that. I mean, have we not seen whole revolutions over this very philosophy and idea of uh, the anger of the disparity of wealth, uh, the the suffering of these things? And here is God saying that's just always going to happen. You know, the, the Soviet Union didn't perfect the idea of making everybody happy and content and equal. Quite the opposite. You know, the more they pursued it, probably the less happy anybody was. And, of course, there was absolutely an existing disparity all the way to the end of that empire. So it's ironic that, you know, here is here is Solomon saying that that as long as we're pursuing meaningful life based on these things, the outcome is always going to be sorrow, sickness, anger. Um, because because of that that perceived sense of injustice that no matter how hard it is, I just don't get it. Uh, and and that's something for Christians to remember in particular. Um, I I knew a brother years ago who uh, at the end of his life he, he things had happened where his home had been foreclosed on, and he said, you know, I had believed that just working hard all my life that at the end of my life, everything would be just fine. And of course, like I said, it didn't work out that way. Not because of any choices he had made, just time and chance, you know, it happened to him and and taken away many of these things. And one of the things that I had to consider was, again, we we have to be careful. Um, My health isn't always going to be with me. You know, I'm not always going to be able to do the things I want to do. And I have to accept that that's just part of life. And if I try to find the meaning of my, my life in my health, I'm going to be woefully disappointed. If I'm going to try to find the meaning of life, you know, health, wealth, any of these things. And and like I said, when I lose it, I can't go into my anger or sorrow or sickness and camp on that. I have to uh, I have to find a meaning of life that supersedes all these things. And of course, that really is the overarching theme of Ecclesiastes. You have to find a meaning of life that's apart from these things. Okay. Good comment. Good comment. Any any other thoughts on this? All right, so real quick, we'll go just a few minutes over the actual hour of 12, but we won't go much over. Let's go ahead and read real quick verses 18 through 20, because it, it does bring in the, the contentment that we've been hinting at and actually would kind of touch on Andy's case. I mean, you stop and think about it. Here's what he, Here's what it has to say. And it's reading from the New King James Version. Here's what I've seen. He writes, It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his inheritance or his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Okay, joy of his heart. All right, so with that said, any thoughts or comments about this? I mean, we may have problems. We may have to work through problems. We may have to work more. We have to buy less. We may have to do this and that. But in the end, we have to keep this contentment in our mindset and then whatever we go through with God being first and foremost will endure. 
there'll always be an end to it. Yeah. There so. seems to be a thought there, uh, John, that um, it's not wrong to enjoy your success. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if God has blessed you with success, uh, you you can in, keep it in perspective, uh, keep your responsibilities to the poor and to the Lord and, and everyone in perspective. But it, but it's okay to. Uh, it all, would almost sound like leading reading up to this point. Oh, life is just pretty miserable and awful. And even if you've got plenty, well, you know, you, you, it's just terrible. Well, he said you can enjoy that. It's a gift from God. It, it's it's a blessing from God. But it's not wrong to enjoy. Uh, the good things, whatever it is, if it's, as Brian mentioned, good health, if it's uh, business success, uh, if it's uh, someone, I think it was Brendan mentioned, uh, finding uh, a wonderful person to spend your life with, uh, wh whatever that is, just to enjoy the blessings that God has poured into your life. And, and to that yeah. point, you know, is so many Christians or many Christians have their mind and careful how I say this, have their mind too fixed on eternity to the point where they're miserable in the present. Um, and Jesus said in Matthew, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount about worries as worry about today, only today, because you're not, you know, tomorrow will take care of its own. And James would add to that, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. So, you know, there's so many times in my short life I've looked back that I missed out on a lot of enjoyment and opportunities because I was so fixated on doing something something was coming up later. Well, later will rob me of the joy of the present. Um, instead of just being here, today is all I have. Enjoy today, whatever blessings it is, whether that's good weather, I am I'm healthy today, I get to enjoy a favorite cup of coffee. There's nothing too small to give God thanks for and to enjoy. And so, you know, if if you enjoy going for walks or you have a favorite book or whatever it may be there's a favorite spot that's a gift from god and we're meant to rejoice in that um he has given these things for our benefit but also for our joy you know christians are yeah. supposed to be some of the most joyful people on the planet and it's not because our joy is sourced in education wealth uh, these things solomon's been talking about it's because we have the whole picture we know every good thing comes from God and everything that's good in my life is from him and is meant to be enjoyed with Thanksgiving. Um, and that's what allows me even in difficult times to still have a measure of joy because I can still thank God for what I do have and what I, what it still is, you know? And when you fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches on education or knowledge or whatever it may be, I'm almost at the point now where I don't think it's if, it's when those things will fail. Um, uh, Bankman Freed, I think is the kid's name. It was the architect of that huge Bitcoin uh, firm. The he had, or, yeah. yeah, he had billions. He had an island in the Bahamas and within a week ripped out from underneath him. Uh, education will fail. And, you know, I've talked to enough preachers that they lament when they're old age, like, I can't recall like I used to. You know, they've, I'm not trying to mean here, but some of them have forgotten more about the Bible than I'll probably ever learn, learn in my lifetime. Education will fail, but God doesn't fail. 
and he will be consistent throughout my entire life. And even in my old age, even when all these other things fail, God will still shower blessings upon me that I can rejoice in um, if I have the right perspective and I have the right focus. Good point. Good point. Um, Two things came to mind. One, Paul, with what you were talking about earlier, I think about the fella who, and I'm going to get the wording of it wrong, but anyway, he looks around and sees all this great wealth and he says, let me tear down my barns and build greater barns so I can put things in it and then I can sit back and eat, drink, you know, enjoy my life. And then Jesus says, tonight, the fool your soul will be required of you. The difference is it looks like that individual didn't view what he had as a gift of God. He viewed it as everything that he had done himself and therefore his whole viewpoint of it was not, I I think reading what we've just read through helps us maybe, maybe understand a little bit better or a little bit more, I guess, what Jesus was saying in that particular case. Um, The other thing is, Brendan, with what you were saying, I asked to talk to an older preacher years ago. He's since passed on, but we were talking about, I was asking what's his thoughts, what were his thoughts on sins of omission? And sins of omission are very, is a very challenging thing. You know, sins of commission is where the Bible says don't do and you do, or the Bible says do this and you don't do that. You're directly violating the command. At least why I've always looked at it. The sin of omission, we have to be careful how we do that because there are a lot of things that we could be doing. He used example. He likes to, he liked to watch the ball game on Sunday afternoons. He says, but I could be going door to door. I could be reading my Bible. I could be doing this. I could be doing that. So depending on how you look at that, I'm wrong for watching a ball game because of the things that I'm not choosing to do at that moment. And that's where what we're looking at here has to be factored in as well. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. Yeah. All right, any other thoughts or comments on this section? It, it does bring us, I believe, to the end of this chapter. Um, Brian, I, any thoughts? Oh, I was just going to say, um, I was my mind was exactly on the same parable. Um, in fact, at that that my, that parable was really sitting heavy on me as I was reading through this, thinking about that. That's right. Uh, one of the guys here tells a story of this uh, neighbor of his that had worked so hard with the goal that when he retired, he bought this high-end RV and he was going to travel. And that was everything for him. That was what he was living for. That was the meaning of his life. The year he retired, he uh, gets a disease that causes him to go completely blind. Um, And so what's remarkable is that, you know, and it was just such a striking story in the sense of if you live for the wrong things, it just doesn't work out. Um, and, and like I said, I think a lot of times we don't even realize that's what we're doing. You know, the American dream is to be independently wealthy or to, you know, to retire and have the good life. And that's wrong. That's not what we're supposed to live for. Um, we, but we have this, this belief that it's okay. And, and again, you know, the thing I think a lot about is the idea of health that, you know, we just presume we're always going to have it. We're always going to have wealth. We're always going to have these things. And, and God says so many times, you fool, uh, you don't get it, but, that was that was my gift to you and you're just you're burying the talent waiting for a opportune time to pull it up and run off with it and that's just not going to work and god god deliberately works in our life against us in moments like that you know god deliberately said i'm going to take your life tonight as a point and and i think we just miss that sometimes good point good point brendan what are you going to say 
one one of our one of the other other elders here he could walk in solomon's footsteps in his understanding of these things because of his lifestyle his children gave him a bumper sticker for the front front of his car and it says i'm spending my kids inheritance so there you go. <laughs> Enjoy it while you got it. It's a gift from God. Don't leave it for your kids. <laughs> anyway, um, if my children are watching, don't worry. You won't have anything of that to worry about. So, <laughs> all righty. Well, I think that's probably a good stopping point. What we'll plan to do is next Thursday, we'll pick up with chapter six, verse one. Sound good? Yes, sir. All right. Paul, it's good to have you back. Appreciate it. Um, Thanks. Uh, and, and, I was just going to say that if mm -hmm. uh, I hope everyone benefited from our study today, but if no one else did, uh, it was very meaningful uh, for me to study through these things. Same here. Same here. We do these studies for our own benefits first and foremost, and then hopefully share with others. Yeah. Um, so if you'd like to let us know what you think about all these things, there's our contact information. You can leave again once, even when we're done. I think you probably leave a comment on this video if you would like in Facebook. Um, on YouTube, I don't know if, I don't think you can leave a chat once the study is done, but let us hear from you. Questions at truthfactorlive.com would be a very easy way to, to get in contact with us. And our plans will be to continue our studies, of course, next Thursday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. Now, I say Central Time, it'll now be Central Standard Time or Daylight Standard Time, whatever it is. We'll be in the new time zone next week, so new time period. But hopefully you can join us Thursday at 11 o'clock as we continue our studies here. All righty, that's all for now, gentlemen. And um, wait, we got one more, one more comment. One more comment. Sometimes the streams are a bit behind. I want to bring Rhonda's comment in. I think it makes... A very good point. Faith in God and his promises guides and builds one's contentment with their earthly blessings as we strive more and more to obtain that eternal promise. Use your earthly blessings to the glory of God. Excellent. Excellent point. Yeah. All righty. Everyone have a great week and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.